One of the things that I think Sherry and Neil did at the onset of the Fab Lab Network was creating a community that makes together, creates together, challenges each other, right? Um, as we all think about what technology means for our daily lives in the 21st century and beyond. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Welcome to the next episode of Learning Unboxed. Uh, This is Annalise Corbin, your host, and as always, super excited um, about the conversation that we are going to be having today. With us um, on the program today is a longtime colleague and friend who does, quite frankly, truly, truly amazing work. Um, Joining us is Sonia Pryor-Jones, who is a lifelong Clevelander and educator, um, in her own words. Um, And she's the chief implementation officer for the Fab Foundation and the founder of Fab House. And so, Sonia, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So um, for full transparency and disclosure for our um, our listeners, I've actually known Sonia for a really, really long time. Uh, Sonia and I got the chance to meet and work together very closely um, a bunch of years ago back when the city of Cleveland was gearing up, ramping up, and starting implementation around STEM education. And so that's sort of our long backstory. And and over the years, our paths have crossed um, over and over again. So let's start, um, Sonia. Um, today, I really, really want to dig in on the FAB Foundation and the work that you've been doing in that space. So let's start with the sort of 30,000-foot view about, A, what the foundation, the FAB Foundation is, sort of the mission and vision, and then we're going to get into the weeds of the work you guys are doing there. Sure. So the FAB Foundation actually uh, just celebrated its 10th anniversary, and it grew out of the Center for Bits and Atoms at MIT. Um, it originally started there under Dr. Neil Gershenfeld as a research project called the Fab Lab Education Program. And this ultimately was a set of digital fabrication technology tools and processes that were intended to go into the hands of anywhere around the world and to support people in making almost anything. So the FAB Foundation um, grew out of an enormous amount of pull from the global community to have what we refer to as FAB Labs. So these digital fabrication laboratories with things like 3D printing, vinyl cutters, laser cutters, CNCs, and of course, software. Um, The thinking of the FAB Foundation and our early groups from MIT was that we wanted to democratize digital fabrication because we see these technological tools as tools for change. So we wanted to get them in the hands of as many people as possible. And so when all of the pools uh, came to MIT, it was more than they could handle um, and not really the, you know, the core work um, of a research uh, 
University. And so they decided to start the FAB Foundation. And the FAB Foundation since that time has been supporting an international network of about 1,800 FAB labs in over 100 countries around the world. So we steward this network of FAB labs as they are coming into place. Uh, We convene them. We share best practices. And then we also support uh, the development procurement installation of fab labs um, all over the world. And just, you know, for our listeners who have a fab lab or a makerspace, if you've never seen what sort of happens when you sort of add the 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 strength and power of the MIT sort of back-end program and thinking um, into a sort of a fab lab endeavor. It's something to behold. And that doesn't take away from makerspaces in general um, or traditional um, you know, fab settings, but it's the resources that you bring to bear, I think, that are the key difference. Would you agree, Sonia? Um, yeah, it really is um, the resources, which really stem from the expertise of all the folks who were the original architects of this work and the long line of history out of the media lab and the way that we think about technology and learning. Um, I would also say it's the community. Um, One of the things that I think Sherry and Neil did at the onset of the Fab Lab Network was to ensure that it wasn't just about the machines, but it was very much about these machines being technological tools for people. And so they've really done a beautiful job with the help of many others all around the world in creating a community um, that makes together, creates together, challenges each other, right? Yeah. Um, As we all think about what technology means for our daily lives. Um, in the 21st century and beyond. And it is one of the things that over and over again, as um, we've worked in places, um, schools or communities that had a fab foundation, um, you know, lab um, or, or the partnership and back into that network sort of approach, that is truly, truly the difference I think that you could see. And so could we spend just a couple minutes, Sonia, sort of talking about that? Because I don't know that schools really or communities understand that if you you choose to, hey, we're going to be part of, of this network and this offering what that comes with, because ultimately that then gets to how do you train teachers and schools and to be able to use that effectively, which is really the heart of what we're going to talk about today. But I really want to make sure that folks who are listening, who've not seen this or don't have this, understand truly what that resource means. Yeah. And so the way I like to talk about it is in you know terms that are familiar to all of us, it's like having a really big family, right? Um, and I, I talk about this particularly from the perspective of our annual gathering, FabX, um, which is going on its 16th uh, year. Fab 16 is coming up uh, in Montreal this summer, where we all get together once a year for a week or so at a time to share practice, to learn about the latest, greatest research, um, and to learn about you know up-and-coming technology that could be utilized and integrated into our spaces. And I always tell people, it's like going to your family reunion each year. Uh, You find out who got married, who had a baby, right? But in this case, you're finding out what are the latest and greatest technologies and techniques. And you're continuing to make connections to more and more people in the network. And it really is about the connections. There's something really meaningful about technology and um, the ideas that people have and that's really employing technology to extend those ideas, right? 
Because right. when we think about technology in its most basic form, I love uh, someone said to me years ago, a pencil, right, at some point was a form of technology. Mm-hmm. It was a way for us to extend our ideas and our thinking. The digital fabrication technology is the same, but when you are doing that with a group um, where you can challenge each other, where you can share practices, it becomes extremely powerful. Um, and, you know, it, you know, starts to create um, an opportunity for you not to just connect in your local geography, but because it's an international network, you also have the opportunity to connect with people all over the world um, live at that conference. And then when you're not at the conference by way of the technology that, that's in your spaces, I mean, this morning, I spent a few minutes on a call with one of my favorite uh, fab labs um, in Iceland um, and talking with them about some of the things that they're up to and they're doing. And just because of those connections and conversations, we're able to uh, exchange ideas, exchange resources, um, and that really creates for, I think, technology to do far more Mm -hmm. um, than it can do when it's just in one single space. Absolutely. And that's definitely the thing that, um, you know, over the years of I've, as I've watched um, the work of the MIT Fab Labs that have been deployed and then ultimately the Fab Foundation and sort of the rollout of the resources, I guess, if you will, that have come with that, that I have seen over and over again. And, um, you know, one of the things that's fabulous about the endeavor is the way in which, you know, users are able to connect into that network and not just share ideas ideas and resources, but share best practices and lessons learned and, hey, we did this, um, but hey, don't try this. Or if you try this, make this modification. And at the end of the day, the network itself um, is the accelerator of the knowledge. And um, that's the thing that I've always truly loved about it. And, and add to the fact that the network is global, right? So back to your point about, you know, you got to have a conversation this morning with Iceland, but, you know, these um, these 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 sites and these these nodes, if you will, within the network, they're all over the world. It's truly global endeavor. Yeah. And it's funny, you talk about accelerating the knowledge. I think the beautiful thing about the network and where we are in our maturity right now, the network is always also able to create some new knowledge mm-hmm. and new approaches and direction as well. Um, and so when we think about it, you know, you really do have the grass, you know, tops and the, you know, the grass roots. Mm-hmm all coming together to converge. And I think that brings a really um, different perspective about Mm -hmm. why research, you know, why technology, because we really get to connect in with the practitioners Mm -hmm. who are doing the work and on the ground every day, whether it's working in a school with students, trying to engage them around STEM, or doing community-based work um, and trying to give, you know, people access to technology technological tools for social change and justice. Right. So it's really powerful. It is. It's incredibly powerful. And quite frankly, the potential is endless. So I love that aspect of it. So Sonia, let's dig in a little bit because, you know, um, I'm a teacher, I'm an administrator sitting out there in the world, um, listening to this thinking, well, I would really like to be part of that. So so let's say um, I go down the road um, and I engage in and be part of this endeavor and this network. So talk to me a little bit about how we go about onboarding 
the the folks who are going to be using and teaching in this amazing technological space. But how how do we ensure that it's not something that just gets used here and there and it only gets used the 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 learnings and the teachings that that are restricted to the build space and don't actually sort of filter through all the day-to-day teaching and learning in a place. Because in my mind, and you and I have had this conversation many times before, the true value of all of this is how it changes the day-to-day practice. Um, It's a cultural shift that happens in learning environments when you tackle some of these pieces and you make it part of your everyday. So how is it that the Fab Foundation makes that happen? Yeah. And, you know, I always say we are a community. So the Fab Foundation is not doing it alone alone, we steward this network. Um, But there is so, I think one of the best things that a school or an education community could do if they decided to take this journey is to truly opt in. And so don't just go buy all the Stuff, right. right? Yeah, don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> because then you're going to either have it sit there or you're going to go, who can help us? And we're going to say, um, <laughs> call Sonia. <laughs> so I think to truly opt in is to first learn about the community, mm-hmm. right? And then learning about the community, what will happen for you is shining examples uh, will be lifted up in terms of people who are similar to you trying to tackle the same kind of problem or issue. And there are, you know, when we look at our work, I would say the most rapid growth that we've seen has quite frankly been U.S.-based labs focused on education. But uh, some of that is K-12 formal and some of that is informal. Um, But because we are all still pushing at improving STEM, um, you know, for academics, for career, for just citizenship in this country. We have seen a ton of investors um, and, and individual schools and teachers even say, okay, maybe this particular space can be that opportunity for me to go from theory um, and give my kids some real hands-on practices and ways that they can learn what it is that we're trying to, to teach. And so I think it's about opting in. You know, you investigate mm-hmm. the network. You get to know other schools who have been there, done that, definitely learn all of their failures. And then I think it becomes about going through the proper design, you know, uh, experiences and the FAB Foundation can help you with that and to figuring out, okay, how do I design this space and our principles around this space and our curriculum and instruction, how we're going to support teachers and adoption in order to maximize the use of the FAB Lab. And this is hard work. It's heavy lifting, right? And it so is, yes. for people who don't want to make the investment long term, they're not going to see the benefit. Right. So let's talk a little bit about um, so we've made the commitment, we've made the investment, we're running down that road, and now I want to I want to sort of pull apart the piece that you're talking about, the professional development component. You know, when folks go and they take a look at the Fab Foundation website, and we will have all these links and resources uh, for our listeners uh, posted. But you know, some of the things that they're going to see um, when they when they get there is something called the Fab Academy and the Bio Academy and the Fabric Academy, which that one I truly love, by the way. And, you know, the (laughs) scopes DF. And so how do I, as a teacher or a school, sort of unpack the breadth and depth of what 
that offering is, or, or even um, uh, the academy piece of the career, uh, the career lab, right? So how do how do I unpack that and then start to apply it into my community? What does the professional development component of that look like? Because I can tell you, Sonia, when I get asked about Fab Foundation all the time or, or putting in a Fab Lab, the first thing everybody asks me is, okay, but what what what's the professional development for this look like? Because to your point, I think people, especially folks who haven't lived for a period of time in that sort of making space, and I use that term very loosely, they're terrified of it. Yeah, you know, you you raise a really good question, and quite frankly, something that we're we're getting better at, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of how do we really invite others in who right. aren't in the know, right? Um, and you know, you you referenced it at the top of the call. You know, people like myself uh, and you, we've been having these conversations about STEM, about fab labs and maker spaces for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy for us to have sort of tunnel vision and forget that there are thousands of school teachers, thousands of students, thousands of people, even people in my own family who still don't quite know what we're talking about, right? And so what I have found um, just in general terms to be the best way to bring people in is to show them. Sometimes it's a simple demonstration, right? You know, you don't have to have all of the machines, but maybe you've got a small Arduino or maybe you've got a 3D printer, right? Or maybe you've got an artifact that you're wearing. You know, right now today I'm wearing a pair of uh, 3D printed and Dinkra symbol earrings um, because it's a conversation starter, right? It's a way for people to connect with something that's familiar, to further understand. So that's just, you know, in general terms about how we bring others in. Um, I think we also have to do a better job of finding the champions that are parts of other networks that we can help to educate. And then they know how to take it back to those communities and how to, how to build the bridges. And that's something that, you know, we've spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about um, there's some great examples of this. Um, I also had a chance to talk with one of our board members, uh, Blair Evans, who's in Detroit. He does a lot with his fab lab um, as it relates to social justice issues. So he's bringing the community organizers in and teaching them uh, digital fabrication and putting them through Fab Academy. And so now that technological tools landed with their social justice expertise allows for them to go to those communities and bring them um, on board. Now, when it comes to the professional development, taking advantage of some of our organized opportunities, it's as simple as just raising your hand and saying, hey, I'm interested. Fab Academy runs every year. In fact, it just started a couple of weeks ago. It runs about six months. And, you know, people are able to take Fab Academy um, in a, as long as they have a local space where they can also do the hands-on work. The rest of the work happens online. Fabric Academy will start again in September. So all of the mm-hmm. Academy right. um, options have a regular calendar and people can just go to the website, sign up and participate there. And you don't have to, to be clear because I know folks are thinking, oh my God, that sounds awesome, but I don't have a, an official MIT set up 
fab lab, but I have a fab lab. I have a, an advanced or, or maybe not so advanced makerspace, but you don't have to have that to opt in. You can still be part of one of these various fab academy opportunities to sort of upskill yourself and take that into your community or your school. You don't have to have the big full versions, correct? Well, actually, let me let me fix, let me kind of go back into that. You can opt in to be a part of the Fab Lab network and the Fab Lab community. That is open. We are open. Um, we look for people to opt in. We understand that everybody can't do the full inventory at once, um, or they might have some slightly different needs at their community level that requires them to think differently about the inventory. Now, with Fab Academy, however. You do need access to all of the materials of a fab lab because that's the protocol that's followed in that course curriculum because the goal of that course is to teach you how to utilize and take advantage of every tool and every capability that makes um, that's available in a fab lab. Perfect. And perfect. so in yeah. that particular case, you do need to have access to a fab lab. Correct. But it could be your local community fab lab if one exists. If you don't have one in your school, but you want to learn um, oh, all these yeah. pieces, it doesn't have to be, you can get access in, an, in a variety of different ways, depending on what your local resources are. Absolutely. I Perfect. mean, at this point, we've got 1,800 fab labs around the world. There's usually something near mm-hmm. you, Yeah, <laughs> um, a fab lab near you. Um, now, the fab labs that um, engage in Fab Academy uh, they go through a process uh, to become eligible um, to teach and support Fab Academy students because it is intensive and it is um, something that you have to be prepared to do. You have to be, pre- you know, the instructors have to be prepared, the local community has to be prepared, and you, the individual student, have to be prepared. Now, one of the ways that we're thinking differently about that, specifically for teachers, is not by way of Fab Academy. Now, we have several teachers that have taken Fab Academy and that population um, has grown over the last couple of years. But our scope project, which I was going to mention earlier, Mm -hmm. um, is all focused on supporting K-12 educators and integrating digital fabrication in the classroom. And that looks a little different. It's not a standalone course that you go take, but instead our scope uh, portfolio of services are really about coming to you understanding your space, understanding your student community. Quite honestly, you and I have both worked in school. Some of mm-hmm. it is understanding your school politics, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yep. How you can get this, how you can best introduce this and begin to adopt it. It's not always wholesale. And so we we think about our work with teachers a little bit differently. Some of that's a little bit more organic. Um, and our scope project is newer versus Fab Academy, which has been around and, you know, a mm-hmm. little bit more tried and true. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because those are, those are exactly the sort of questions that, you know, I have uh, schools, teachers, community members ask me um, from time to time. And so I, you know, I re- thank you for that because I wanted to dig into a little bit of the details because I know that's what people are sitting there thinking. So I, I thought, let's just grab that and run with it, uh, answer some of those questions. So I have, I have two follow-up questions to the piece we just talked about. So the first one is, how do you know this works? 
I mean, what, what and how do you actually measure the tangible impact for a school who says, hey, I want to do this thing. We're going to invest in the infrastructure and the technology and we're going to commit. We're all in. Because I know you've been doing a lot of work in this space. So I really want to, I want to uh, give, give the opportunity to sort of talk about what you've learned. So there's always this question around fidelity to process and how do we know that the, the endeavor is actually working? So how is it that Fab Foundation is tackling that? What does that look like for you guys? Yeah, yeah. And so, and that's evolving and changing as well because we truly are a living, working organization. And, you know, I like to tell people when we think about um, our work, it's always about continuous improvement. How we know it's working shows up in a couple of different ways. Um, We, you know, we're very similar to many other organizations where we are doing, you know, uh, mixed methods, both qualitative and quantitative data collection. Um, we actually did a significant project with the PATH Foundation uh, with our SOAP project where we went in depth with teacher interviews and feedback, student interviews and feedback, also observation in the actual classroom to see what shift or change would take place once teachers and students had been um, introduced to not just the digital fabrication tools, but also some of the theoretical background and approaches that we believe best situate uh, the Fab Lab work. Um, So we've done some of that work. And then there are also just tons and tons of individual stories of success, Um, you know, from the the student, you know, at the first school to have a Fab Lab who fell in love with it at 14 and is now traveling all over the world, opening up Fab Labs and teaching other educators. Um, from the rural community in Pennsylvania, where we've got now a whole body of young people uh, with uh, learning differences that have just done a tremendous amount of work with integrating the social work support for those young people and their academics in the Fab Lab. And now these kids are seeing behavior changes, attendance changes, and also post-secondary changes. That's and a lot of those kinds of rich stories um, for, for young people in classrooms. And then also financial investment. You know, there's something to people continuing to invest in digital fabrication um, for K-12. through And we're starting to see more and more states provide investment for their public schools as well as school districts, almost um, investing their entire district uh, resources to support um, these kinds of spaces as well. So those are just some of the, the pieces of evidence that mm-hmm. we have that it's working. Yeah, and it's absolutely fabulous. And I didn't ask that question because I, we, we were going to uh, have you, you know, sort of necessarily uh, tap onto the past piece, but you know, full transparency for our listeners. Um, yes, we we did some work um, in that space um, with Sonia, but but I really, but it is important because, you know, to your point, as communities or districts start to, um, you know, make the financial investment, they they want to understand how they know that it works. So I'm, I want to circle back around to a, a, a statement that you made earlier about um, one of your practitioners in Detroit and the relationship between the work happening in in digital fabrication and social justice. This is going to be something that I think folks are really, really intrigued by. So can you tell us a little bit more about that connection? Because I think that that's going to really resonate. 
Yeah, and so I think a lot of the social justice work um, that we're trying to do in communities across the United States tied back to some of the very early um, elements of even the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. right? Some of the mm-hmm. things that, you know, go as far back as Dr. King um, in terms of making sure that there is um, there are work opportunities for people, there's fair housing, right? Um, and, you know, Dr. King, one of my, you know, favorite quotes from him, he talks about the role of technology mm-hmm. in making mm-hmm. change, right? Yeah. And we don't really think about him as a technologist, right? Or someone who thought about STEM. I think the same with the Stokes brothers mm-hmm. um, of Cleveland, you know, our congressman, um, Louis Stokes, actually did a lot of the early work to ensure STEM opportunities and funding for people from all backgrounds mm-hmm. in the United States. And so I think a, a number of our civil leaders um, and social justice leaders have thought about the role that technology could play. And I think in these um, current times where we see uh, people who work in the social justice lane using digital fabrication, mm-hmm. it really is about equity, right? Like how do we mm-hmm. ensure that this is not just one other area where people who are typically marginalized are left behind, right? And then also, how do we equip people with understanding these technologies and tools so that they can start making changes and improvements in their lives right now today? And a lot of that, you know, is being prepared on the the work skill side, right? Um, It's something unique when you can show up somewhere and have these design software um, and machining uh, skill sets that a lot of other people may not have yet. Mm-hmm. Also, how can you create opportunity for yourself um, through entrepreneurship? And we're seeing that not just in the United States, but also in Mexico. Um, there's a great story that our CEO likes to tell about the number of female entrepreneurs actually changing the trajectory of their entire family in Mexico mm-hmm. through small business incubation yep. um, that's being supported by the Fab Lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we see and hear those stories over and over again as communities are wrestling with those very issues. And I'm thrilled to hear and have the opportunity to talk with you about it, specifically as it relates to digital technology um, and maker spaces and that opportunity, because I see the exact same thing as we we travel through and we 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 work in schools that have deliberately put pretty robust maker opportunities in in communities and open them up um, to to families and other community to be able to come in and participate in programming tied to that. And it is very, very powerful. And it can be a game changer. So I think that that's uh, uh, one of those those pieces that it's really easy, quite frankly, to celebrate um, and for us to collectively figure out how can we do more of. So I also want to touch base a little bit. Um, um, one of the other pieces when you were talking about um, the students with learning differences, I was really fascinated and I hadn't heard you um, share that piece before. So thank you for that. But as the sort of nations within the U.S. and certainly other parts of the world as well are really sort of struggling and pushing more emphasis, much needed emphasis on social and emotional learning and opportunities for our students as it relates to um, not just students with learning differences, but students that are struggling in a whole host of varieties and ways. I think it's fascinating that there's a tangible tie that you can point to 
that's related to the notion of making and learning these digital tools. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's really exciting. It's new and our fab lab in rural Pennsylvania at IU1 is really leading the way on this. One of their campuses specifically um, focused on students with the range of IEPs, right? Mm-hmm. Including some of the SEL components. And they started to integrate some of the therapies and work with social workers in the fab lab because they were finding just from some initial introductions of the space to the student population, that they were automatically seeing behavior changes That's around fabulous. those students as they were going through instruction. And so they're in the middle of a significant um, research project around all of this. In fact, um, they'll be speaking at some of our upcoming um, meetings, our FAB 16 conference, to share the learning um, that they have for this. It's also through our SOAPS project, one of the things that we um, developed and all of these resources are free and available from our SOAPS project. You can go on to our website, SOAPSDF.org, and you can find standards aligned digital fabrication lessons for you. And you can also find some instructional materials there for you, all um, thanks to the kindness of our funders um, that have been made available to educators. And one of the resources that we developed are FAB I Can statements to give people mm-hmm. a formative assessment framework that they can utilize in the classroom. Um, and one of the things that we've been playing with is um, how to refine those um, statements with some of the SEL work that we know unfolds for young people as they create and make in a FAB lab. Excellent. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous resources. And again, we will make sure that we capture all of that and and post those links to make it really easy for folks as well. So I would be remiss, Sonia, if we wrapped before we had a chance uh, for you to share just a little bit. And I know it's really early on, but I really would love to have you just give, you know, a a couple minutes of uh, the work you're doing with Fab House, because that's one of your 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 new things and it is very, very important and meaningful to you. Yeah, thank you. And you know, when I was on that thread about social justice, I get so excited. (laughs) Sometimes my brain is moving, you know, my mouth is moving faster than my brain or the other way. Um, But it is another, um, you know, element to that. Um, So Fab House is a project that um, I started working on last year. So it was established in 2019. And the goal of that particular project is to bring digital fabrication to the heart of the neighborhood. Um, The neighborhood is Glenville in Cleveland, Ohio. This is a community that has all the stats, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of job loss, in terms of the housing crisis that happened in Cuyahoga County, in terms of, you know, not having enough people go on into some post-secondary opportunities and experiences. And this is a neighborhood that I actually grew up in. And so my family decided um, that we would donate a home that we have in Glenville to the Fab House Project. And in this home, we'll be bringing a Fab Lab. um, And we will also maintain the residency quarters upstairs so that I can invite all of my amazing colleagues from the Fab Lab Network to come to Cleveland um, periodically, live in the neighborhood, be a part of the community fabric and teach digital fabrication. Um, and the goal here is neighborhood stabilization, but also bridging that technological divide. So, and, you know, and and I know that um, 
you know, in the vein of being humble, I'm going to put a call out um, on this one. So it is as amazing as it sounds. Um, And so for those of you that are contemplating doing something that can be absolutely earth shattering for a community, I would recommend you look to Sonia's work in the Fab House Project. It has infinite possibilities and it is so scalable. Um, and can be so meaningful for communities. And so I, for one, am super, super excited to to sort of see how it all unfolds. And I know it's a passion project um, in part for you uh, specifically. Um, I saw some some photos for the first time get posted in social media the other day, and I was celebrating. I was cheering for you. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. Thank you. Thank you. It, it's it's amazing. And and I know I know that's very meaningful. So I can't wait to see what comes from that. And I'm just super thrilled about the piece about having those those um network folks come in and and do some time in residence, you know, as a give back both to the community but also to the bigger, broader community and network of learning. So I think it will prove to be incredibly powerful. We're really excited about the teaching and learning, but also the cultural exchange mm-hmm. that's going to take place. Mm-hmm. You know, I always want to make sure I underscore that the people who come will have something to teach, but the Glenville residents will also have something to teach them. So we're, we're really excited about that. Oh, they that. will. It'll definitely go go both ways. So I can't wait to talk to you about it after, you know, it's been doing its thing for a while. So as, as we sort of wrap up, I always like to leave our listeners with sort of a, a last bit of advice that comes um, specifically from our guests. So, Sonia, if, if you are a, a teacher or administrator or somebody from a community out there who doesn't have, you know, fabrication or digital technology maker spaces in their community and you really want to see that happen, what's your one or two pieces of advice as folks get started? What, what do you think is the most important steps for for people to take to get them down this road? Yeah, I think, you know, this is some of what we've even been doing at the organizational level and I often do for myself. And that is to first pause and understand your vision and your values, right? Um, As a classroom teacher, working with a group of kids, wherever you might be in the world, you enter that profession for a reason. Um, there was something specific you wanted to give, a goal you wanted to accomplish. So stepping back and reflecting on the vision you have for your students and the values that are driving that vision, I think are a really important first step to the roadmap. And then on a more practical side, do your research. There are a number of organizations out here working to support educators in bringing digital fabrication and making into the classroom. Uh, go search the website, read, follow people on social media, um, and look for individuals who are out there doing the work, not just in exact situations like your own, but I think also situations that feel really uncomfortable and out of the box. Um, because I think in those places, you can learn new ways to think about how you might incorporate this in your teaching and in your classroom. The other thing I would say is, Don't feel like you have to know and understand all the technology on your own. That's a really important piece of advice for classroom teachers in particular. Understand that there are people in community that you can partner with. You are the expert at teaching and learning. 
and they might be the expert in that particular piece of technology. When you partner together, you will get what you need to move your students towards. So don't feel like you have to have all the answers. And also be comfortable in struggling and fumbling with your students Mm -hmm. because we are living in a world where our young people have come to school equipped with a lot of baseline knowledge that will help get through some of this technology as well. Absolutely. That is so very, very true. Well, Sonia, thank you so very much for joining us today, giving us your time, your expertise, and uh, we look forward to all the great things yet to come. So thank you again. Thank you, Ramalish. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.